when I was eight years old, my parents asked me, do you want to go to camp? And my initial response was absolutely not. It's terrifying. Who wants to leave their parents for a week when they are eight years old? But my parents insisted and I relented. And when I was eight years old in August, we got into the car and we made the three hour trek south along the shore of Lake Huron. And we turned right into a road. And the moment my car turned into the road, I felt both terrified and at home in a way I had never felt before. And that road is long and shady and very bumpy. And when you get to the end of that road, you turn into a space that opens onto one of the most sacred spaces I have ever put my feet on. And that road has become a symbol in my life in pretty much every possible element because the majority of the aspects of my identity were formed along that road and in that space, my relationships, my family, and now my children continue down that road. And so today I am so thrilled to welcome my sisters, Leah and Deb. We are soul sisters from Camp Huron, the camp that we worked at. Uh, <clears throat> we first met in 1994. <laughs> Picture it, 1994. I kind of did my hair with braids at the side to kind of mimic how I did my hair back then. <laughs> Grunge was the element of the day, and we were um, wearing overalls, Birkenstocks, and work socks. So picture it, listeners, camp culture. I mean, all they need to do is look at the young people today who are wearing exactly what we were wearing back then. Trailblazers. We were trailblazers. Wildlife pants. Yes. Absolutely. So the staff today actually look exactly the same as we did. Um, All right, Leah, do you want to talk about how you came to that space? Yeah. Um, And I came through my mom, Susan, who um, was a professional storyteller and children's librarian, and who was friends with uh, Jerry, the now camp director, and Daisy, the then craft lady, and had been asked to come up to do a sort of a week of story residence. And I mean, I was 16 at the time and wasn't doing a whole lot in, uh, during summer. Um, so asked if I wanted to come up to this camp place um, and volunteer. Um, and so I thought, okay, what the heck? And there was this history. Yeah. Yeah. I met your so mom before I met you. Yeah, and I was so I was never a camper mm-hmm. there. So I guess that's maybe unique. 
that I right. um, because then, so I was a volunteer the summer of 94 when I met you both mm -hmm. you on, when you were on staff and then I became staff the next year for three years after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I forgot, I've forgotten about that part. Yeah, because Deb, I'll get you to tell your story in a second, but you were also, you had also been a camper there. So for me, my journey went from eight until 23. Oh. So yeah, it was a pretty significant chunk of, of time for me. And Deb, do you want to talk about how you came to yeah. it? Yeah, sure. Um, similar to you, Lisa, it was, I think I probably was about eight or nine time. And it was just I don't want to say a fluke, but at the church that my family went to, they had, you know, summer registration up on the bulletin board. And I think my mom and I saw um, the flyer there and my mom was like, do you want to go to camp? I didn't know what was involved. And uh, my sister wasn't interested in going along and I didn't care. I was like, no, I'm going. This sounds like something fun. And I was a camper there for, I think, six years. And then after I think I was 14, I think I took a bit of a break from it. I was working during summers, um, you know, during high school. And I remember it It was probably the early part of my, the last part of my grade 13 year. And I was thinking, you know, I kind of want to do something else other than work at Tim Hortons, you know, during the summer. <laughs> There's got to be something other than donuts. And, uh, and I was thinking, I'm like, I, I wonder if I could get a job just volunteering back at camp. And I got, uh, reference letters and I did a resume and I remember sending it off, hoping that I would, uh, get a position. And, uh, they called me in for an interview and funny enough, they, I thought I was applying as a leader in training, like a counselor in training. And I had applied for the wrong job. Um, I had applied for an LIT counselor job um, and the interview uh, questions quickly told me that I had maybe made an oops on the application form <laughs> when I was asked how I would handle, uh, you know, a, a torrential downpour in Algonquin Park. I knew that maybe that was not the entry level job I was <laughs> thought I would be able to do. So we no all quickly had a laugh and understood that I really just wanted to be a first year counselor. And uh, yeah, and <laughs> and that's how well, it went. Got the interview, so. There you go. So <laughs> yeah, no entry level Algonquin Park. No, that wasn't that wasn't really. I wasn't ready for that. But yeah, it was. Uh, it was a coming home to, uh, I had missed it for, I think it would, by that time it would have been about four years and, uh, it had changed slightly, but on the other hand, not really much at all. Yeah. 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 And then it's, it, you know, almost 30 years later, you could say almost the same thing. Yep. And that's part of why I really wanted to have this conversation because I think there is this triteness that has come up around the concept of camp. Mm. You know, like you reference American Pie and like that one time at band camp. <laughs> and I feel like that sort of um, preconception <clears throat> is, is, is foundational in like the narrative around yeah. camp, which is really, which is really challenging because as we've been friends for almost 30 years, 30 years. 
And so that tells you that there is actually something really powerful and foundational about giving young people a safe space to try on different aspects of their identity and who they are in a place that holds them accountable and they have responsibility yep. and it plants the seeds, right? That's the, th that's the through line of our relationship and our conversation today. Those experiences plant the seeds for all the phases of our life in, in so many ways. And when in thinking about that, I also wanted to give us a chance to talk about like, what was it because of, on a staff of, you know, 40 people who I have great affection for every single, every single person that ever crossed my path in that place, whether it was a fabulous relationship or one that was a little bit tricky, I still hold great affection for those people. And some of them have fallen off, but we have stayed connected for like I said, almost 30 years. <laughs> so <laughs> what is it do you think that drew us together and kept this sisterhood connected? I, I think I'm going to, I'm not going to take too long with this, but I think I just want to say that what drew, I think what solidified at least the bond with you, Lisa, was probably a really challenging week at camp. In 1995, where it, I know exactly what you're going to yeah, say. <laughs> it was, it was. We had a, a, a full cabin. We had um, a lot of campers that needed extra care, um, and then and then there was a tornado. Um, you know that really just sealed the week as I think probably one of the most challenging yet exhilarating uh, weeks for for a lot of us. I know not just me. Um, and we were co-counselors together that week. And uh, yeah, I think, I think like a lot of relationships at camp, it's, it's almost trial by fire. Um, and it really bonded, not just us, but I think that whole staff that summer, I think Leah, you too, after that week, it was, um, it was an intense week for a lot of people. And I think, I think that that certainly helped. <laughs> all things along right yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah when you think about planting the seeds of who you're gonna be there's no more <laughs> well let's see how you show up when you have six camp campers who are diabetic who have just had insulin you have one kiddo who has down syndrome you have one kiddo who is in a wheelchair and that's just our that's just our little ecosystem yeah. of a cabin we're going to throw in a tornado. You guys are going to shelter from that tornado in a ravine yeah. where the river, river is rising and suddenly you're holding children <laughs> on your shoulders out of the water while singing songs, yeah. like singing in the rain to keep everyone calm. Yeah. That's what we did at 17 years old. Yeah. yeah. That's asking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And give, but at the same time, what an opportunity yeah. to really show up. But like, and when you say asking a lot, I'm just gonna to say, it yeah. it didn't feel like an ask. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think everybody yeah. just that's just what you did. It was 
It was a community that, that came together during staff training week, right? Some staff were, um, you know, previous year's staff. And then we had some, like, I, I don't remember the complement of new versus old staff that summer. So you had one week of training week and then it was just go. That's right. That's right. And so everyone coming together and it was the second week, I believe the second week of camp. And it was just, I think, instinctual for everybody to just go in and yeah. do what needed to be done. Leah, what do you think? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And I mean, and, we'll, and I know we'll get to this book, but it's that I, it's that notion of like when you're given a stretch assignment mm. or a big responsibility, mm -hmm. you rise to the challenge. Yep. Right. And I think back to that idea, Lisa, would, and I know we'll come back to that, that creating that safe space to try on different things and to, and to mess up. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so key. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't uh, reflected on how you and I connected. Oh, it's a boat. When I was uh, there for my, in 94, as a volunteer, like, I just remember you being like the cat's meow and just being like, thinking that you were like, who is this goddess that has all the outfits and has all the things. And all the Tupperware. And, and all the Tupperware. And yeah. And so, I don't know. I think there was just always an energy about you that I felt very drawn to. Um, and then I became really good friends with your now husband, Ken. Mm -hmm. Ken and I, I think, were really had a close connection in those early camp years, um, mm -hmm. so much so that I stood beside him in your wedding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I think you and I also had lots of interesting, challenging um, challenging, you know, parts of our relationship. And I think that that's also part of it, right? When you learn to be in conflict with those that you are also required to work with, trust, be with, and then you can repair. It's the rupture and repair of that relationship. That's what's the mm -hmm. wise thing. I like that. We've yeah. all been and various, you know, I mean, when, we're, when you're teenagers and you're forced into the kind of stuff that we were forced into by nature and otherwise, mm -hmm. there's challenges. Yeah. And then and then because of the space that was held for us, we could repair those repair those ruptures and be mm -hmm. stronger for it. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to the power of community as well. When you are living in community, it's really difficult to just rupture and let it go especially if I am like sleeping six feet away from you and we are working together mm -hmm. and we're responsible for the lives of young Those humans. humans. We, yeah. yeah, we can't just let that stay in rupture. So it was, yeah, yeah, exactly. It really did that, that living in community gave us the opportunity to learn how to do that, to learn how to repair. Yeah. And that's not, it wasn't easy. No. And right. I think that there had to be a little bit of structure set up to allow for that repair piece. You know, like when we think about the, you know, the groups and the, you know, Tuesday nights, this group's going to meet here and to just kind of debrief about your week and how are things go. Like, I think that there was some good, 
things put in place to encourage and promote that as well. So it's, you know, community with some thought behind how to make the community successful um, because it doesn't just happen and you can have the best of intentions. And if the checkpoints aren't put in place along the way, it can sometimes fall off and not be able to get back on. But I think with, with camp, um, I think that for the most part, I think that those, those things were there um, and we just had to take advantage of them and use them and learn how to navigate through it. It was, yeah, thinking back, I think that that's, that's one of the big things for me is that that repair piece, Leah, that you're talking about, like the ruptures are, are gonna happen. You can't avoid that. Um, and that's one of the things that I take with me too throughout you know, my adult life is it's okay that things are rupturing now. How do we work on repair? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think one of the other key elements of that as well was having, I mean, we experienced some brilliant leadership. We also experienced some challenging leadership and both of those experiences are important <laughs> because it shows you how those leadership styles impact an entire community. But for the most part, we had really good leaders who created some spaces where we could do that learning and walked with us through it. And I think it's one of the great things about having a community of young people that span an age range, right? Mm -hmm. Like some of I, my first summer, I was 16. That wouldn't happen now. We have to be 17. But there were 17, 16, 17, up to like mid-20s. And then a few people also who were in their 30s. So it was a really important transition to see where mm -hmm. age is. Because in that, in that phase of life, there's so much growth that happens every year and every shift. And so watching those people who were maybe just a year or two older than I was, but had been through so much, but had been through so much more just because of phases of development, mm -hmm. show us what it was to engage in healthy conversation um, was, I think, a really important part of that community as mm -hmm. well. So just to continue with this theme. Um, mm -hmm. So I was reflecting on my time at camp that I have over the years, um, in particular um, last semester when I was writing a paper around supervision mm -hmm. and leadership. And for listeners, I'm doing my master's of social work. Why is this old lady talking about writing Because I'm back in school. <laughs> <laughs> um, again. And um, I, what came up for me was this being able to fail mm -hmm. a number of times and being held to account mm -hmm. and mentored and guided towards repair as well. So, I mean, it's similar to like, not only the interpersonal ruptures, but like when you fuck up on the job, excuse my language, is this a PG podcast? Um, no, you can swear, it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, 
when you have given that big responsibility. Like, man, when, like, those lessons, they stay with you, right? Mm-hmm. When you can be supported in such a beautiful way to, to be accountable um, is, like, is a lesson that I didn't really realize I had taken away from that or was so important to me until I was sort of reflecting on it last semester in my, in my mid forties, mm-hmm. 45 this year. So good to be on the podcast, but like thinking about still those seeds of transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There. And I think they, there are some things that I realized right away and in the moment while they were happening where I knew I was like, oh, this is foundational. This is part of what's going to make me who I am. But there were lots of things that didn't show themselves until much later in my life. But when I reflect back on them, I am always, I can follow that trail to the place, to the time, to the people where that root began. Yeah. And our conversation around like rupture and repair, I have, I don't love conflict. I don't know that. Well, maybe there are some people who do love conflict. It's not my favorite thing. I also am not super avoidant of it. And I think that, no, I think I know. I know that was my experiences with both of you, but with, but with commu- the community as well, that allowed me to speak my truth in a way that other people could hear and how that made a deeper and more real connection with people than just like, like we said earlier, like just peace out and let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that you'll find with that too, Lisa, and you've said this too, is that sometimes that's not for everybody, right? Sometimes your voice is um, not as welcome, you know, and you feel stifled. Mm-hmm. And some of us, I think at that age, for me, I think I I didn't like conflict. I think it made me very uncomfortable. And to learn mm-hmm. how to navigate through conflict um in different ways it's it was it was a challenge for me and looking back on um on that and knowing when to speak up and um do things differently has taken a long time um not, i think at that age i don't think i know i probably wasn't and i'm sure lots of us weren't really good at um recognizing our own shortfalls and owning that and also holding others to account too so um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, the things that you, you know, you think, oh, I, I would have done that differently. Absolutely. Um, but conflict okay. is, is, a, is a thing for me that was always a touchy thing. And happier to say that, you know, I, I gotten much better at handling it. So <laughs> go, go camp lessons. <laughs> Staff training week. Conflict resolution. Which style are you? <laughs> Like, where else as teenagers do you get to learn that yeah. stuff and practice it in real life? Like, this is this mm-hmm. is the thing, right? It's learning. It's like a microcosm of life and responsibility yes. in this safe space yes. where you where you can do all these grown-up adult things, yep. screw up, get support, yeah. and keep going with, like, like, hopefully, like, little risk. Yes. You know, because... 
for enough of enough of a time period that you can actually solidify something. So it's not like a little eight hour venture somewhere. It was like, what, nine weeks, 10 weeks? I don't know, something like that of with breaks, obviously we did get time off. Um, <laughs> short breaks and then you're you're back living together and you're living through what just happened you know yesterday or at dinner time or it's um yeah it it i think it it forced that um those learnings to happen whether you were ready or not i suppose um and yeah it's it that's the invaluable part of camp but i'm gonna just say that for two seconds like to me, when you talk about, you know, why camps are, you know, oh, everything's so expensive and um, you go and you learn how to canoe and you go and learn, you know, some of these skills. But the the part that we can't, I think, put a price tag on is all of those uh, things we're talking about now that really help to lay the groundwork for people as they grow up and uh i think it's i think i think it's amazing i i really do feel as though it needs to be promoted a little bit more yeah and one of the things that i love about our camp and it's interesting when you do talk to the people who have been to other camps right each camp has its own culture yes. that people are really connected to and the thing that I loved about ours and our experience was it is not fancy, nope. right? Like, not a big camp. It is not, it is not resort like. Like yes, there are great, there are great fun things that are there, and there are those outdoor skills that we learn. But the most important thing about that particular space, our space, is relationships. Yeah everything comes back to relationships in that space yep. and our experience in some ways can never be repeated mm -hmm. because we were so insular because there wasn't technology no thank good like we didn't have <laughs> We didn't have our cell phones to, if we wanted to escape from a situation or like just be on our own and disconnect and go and be over in this other space that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So it was, although cha like challenging at times, it also kept us, it's also part of what kept us accountable to each other mm -hmm. in that community. Yeah. You couldn't just get distracted and disappear into, you know, your phone or your laptop or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know that they are working really hard. Like, so my, both of my kiddos work there now and they are, they are not on their phones at all during the day. They go in the office. They only have access to them in the evening during their time off. So for those young humans who are there now, they are having a taste of that experience, but I think it's so important that they have that time during the day where they are so just connected to the kids and to each other, which is um, a unique experience that might not happen for kids who aren't going to that place. Yeah. Um, can you think of a time or multiple times where you felt yourself be completely embodied in the truest sense of who you were during that time? I think, um, I think for me, there's probably lots. So 
I'm just going to pick one that I felt was a more connected, magical moment, if you will. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it was the summer of 98. And we had, uh, I was on the main, the main camper compound with my, uh, no, it was just near the camper compound with my co-counselor. And we were looking at the sky and it was nighttime and uh, I think our LITs had gone to bed and we we're just looking at it. We're seeing this like rising green aura floating up above the trees. I'm like, oh my God, what is that? I had never seen anything like that before. So we're lying down and a like, couple other people were joining us. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the Northern Lights were like rolling up in like waves over top of the trees. And we were like, okay, we're going in and we're waking the LITs up. They have to come and see this. And a few of them came out and those that did were glad they did. And those that didn't shame on you because it was, (laughs) it was amazing. It was just as we lay there, some people were talking quietly and you could see just these Like you could, it's like when you're little and you're looking at, my parents had the funkiest wallpaper. You're looking at the wallpaper, seeing images in it. And you're looking at the sky and you're seeing, you know, a phoenix or different animals. And it was just this rooted experience for something that was not rooted at all. It was just floating and it was just, yeah. And I felt privileged to be able to experience something like that. And that's perhaps a a bigger, um, nature-driven experience at camp. There were so many little ones that um, maybe weren't as, quote, majestic, but at the same time were just beautiful. It was just the place itself. So, yeah, that was that was mine, I think. Um, just felt very in touch with the place and myself and just glad to be there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many. It is really beautiful. And there are so so many elements about being in nature in that way that forces you into your body, right? Like I think for all three of us, nature, being in nature is a huge part of all of our identities. And it is that you live in it. It is all, it is all around you. It's all encompassing. And for me, at least there was this, always this sense of impermanence, I knew how much I loved being in that space and I knew that it was a limited time Mm -hmm. and it made me be really present. Like to this day, I can call up the sound of gravel crunching under my feet going along the road because at night, especially like coming into August as that time was wrapping up, I would make sure I was present in every moment. So as I was walking from the camper compound over to get snack at the dining hall, I would say, stop and listen and feel Mm -hmm. it. And I would pay attention to how that gravel felt under my feet. And I would pay attention to how it sounded in my ears. And when I would walk across the bridge, I'd feel I can still feel the texture of the smoothness of the wood of the handrails Mm -hmm. and what it felt like to descend those stairs and just stand in the middle of the bridge and look out at the ravine in by myself in the darkness, just listening and absorbing all of the sounds that were around me. And I still come back to those things today when I'm feeling out of my body or I'm feeling, um, really disconnected, 
I will pull up those sensory moments to bring me back into my body. I think one of the, the things just to piggyback off of that, Lisa, before before we hear from Leah too, is actually about Leah. Um, one of the things that you instilled, no one's good. One of the things you instilled in me when we were um, LIT counselors together um, was um, we'd often sit a across from each other on our bunks and it'd be nighttime and you'd say, you know, okay, what are some things I'm thankful for for today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that. And, and, uh, I do. <laughs> it stuck with me. <laughs> Good. Yeah. With and it would have, it could have been the littlest thing. Like you said, Lisa, mm-hmm. you know, like the sound of, of gravel or, you know, you know, the way the moon looked or something like that. And, um, just being present and, uh, and that's a good way to be grounded too. What are you thankful for today? And, uh, that's, yeah. Thanks Leah. That was, that was a gift. I have to say, I have to thank my dad for that. what's coming to mind now. Um, okay. So my most embodied moment I have a, I have a, right away as I was thinking, it was a vision of Odessa and I leading the shark song at campfire. (laughs) And here's why, because I love to perform. And that is when I feel, and to this day, still in my most embodied, authentic self, when I am up in front of a group of people energize leading them following them like i am alive in a way that i am can only be alive in that space and i think i i learned that i discovered that at camp mm-hmm. and camp allowed me to do that like like high school leah outside of camp like was not that person but i could be my most authentic self and embrace and loved for that mm-hmm. when i was I'm now picturing you doing that in my head, Leah. I'm right there. Leah, you bring up that point of being your most authentic self and how that, and how that changes when you're in different spaces. And that was true for me for a while as well. So, um, for anybody who listened to my first episode, I talked about like that traumatic experience of being told to sit at the front of the classroom in kindergarten because I was talking to my turtles. Anyway, that set up a huge part of my identity for a really long time. And that was someone who was really quiet. I didn't ever speak up. I was really, really shy. And so going to camp the first time I like, it really was terrifying for me because I was so shy. So figuring out how to navigate like all of these relationships with people I'd never met was, was really scary. And it wasn't until years later, like those skills built over time. And as I aged, but I was always my most authentic self at camp And it didn't translate outside of until my last years of high school. Like it really was not until grades 12 and OAC that I was able to transfer those elements of my identity Mm -hmm. 
outside of. And that was shocking to the people <laughs> who knew me outside of camp because all of a sudden I was taking on these leadership positions and using my voice. And that was, that was a shift and that was tricky. Those now, those relationships were hard to navigate too, as you shift and change over time. And what's interesting to me, looking back on this transformation of, of my life so far is I felt most embodied and present and fully who I was at 16 years old. When I, my first summer I worked there because I had admired these, these leaders, counselors, the way they interacted with each other, the relationships that they had, the way they were with us. I'd admired these people for so long. And at 16, when I got hired, I suddenly was living my dream. I was there with some of those people that I admired so much. And suddenly I was having relationships with those people. And I can still feel myself in that body, walking across the compound, whistle around my neck, <laughs> kiddos lined up following me. And I was like, this is it. Here I, am. I love it. And, oh, yes. and as I lost myself over years of being told that it was too much, it was that image that I had to reconnect to, to come home, to know that is who I am, that is who I always have been, and that is who I will be going forward. And do either of you have any of those kinds of experiences? I think I have an experience of missing that that version of me because I still am victim to the um, you know, you're an adult, you're, you have responsibilities, you have, and, and, and the me that, that was back then, yes, of course, I can't go back and, you know, say to heck with all this, I'm going back to camp forever. Um, but all of the, <laughs> but the personality traits that come out and the experiences that come out and the, you know, the, like you said, the pride that you feel in yourself for achieving something or, um, giving back to, in this case, um, you know, children, um, you miss the opportunity to do that on a regular basis. And that feeling of, um, I've given of myself of, of parts of myself, I suppose that mean the most, you know, day-to-day -day jobs sometimes don't meet that need. Um, and looking for it in other ways is, is, is helpful, but you're not living it 24 seven. And I guess that's a part of why it's so special is that it was for that period of time condensed into this, um, time period that obviously has to come to an end at some point, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I missed that for sure. I mean, what's coming to mind for me, and I don't have like a, a distinct example, sort of like as you shared, Lisa, but hearing you speak, Deb, it's that sense of like also joy and play yeah. that we lose as adults. Yep. That is part of camp. Like, <laughs> you have to make it fun. Yes. It's your job to be yeah. fun. And it's joyful. And we make the smallest things fun. And that is, the, that is a gift of childhood, of adolescence, and your 
privilege to experience that. And then, you know, you grow up and you graduate and you go to work and we just, as a society, don't value those things. But I think mm-hmm. when we're experiencing authentic connection and joy, of course we feel like our own authentic yeah. Because those things tap us into that part of ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. As we're talking, it's making some connections for me around, like, Leah, what you just said about joy and play is so important. And we do lose that as adults. And so many of the societal structures that we have in place force that into being. And and edu- and the education system really does that as well, right? So I often have sat with, like, why do all of these systems not sit with me in ways that they do for other people. Like, why am I so damn uncomfortable in all of these places? But it is those experiences that we had where we saw the learning that was possible, where we saw the sense of authenticity and connection Mm -hmm. to identity and responsibility and accountability. We saw all of those things happen that I think our systems are trying to instill but they're doing it in damaging ways in in most cases, where in that place that we got to be, we learned all of those things through play and through joy. And I saw how effective they were. And I was like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. we're doing everything wrong. Outside of here, we are doing everything wrong. You just send everybody to camp. Like, yeah, like how we show up and like, we've all talked about that sense of missing. And there is like, that's, there would always be that sense of grief mm. at the end of every summer, right? After my first summer. Gut-wrenching grief. Gut-wrenching. Like when I left 1993, I will never forget getting into my parents' minivan and sobbing the entire drive home so much so that we had to stop at one point so that I could get some water because I was dehydrated. Oh, <laughs> That's a good cry. And, <laughs> and continued to sob. And then it was in November of that year. So like months later, my mom said to me, you need to get yourself together or you are never going back there. You're miserable. <laughs> I was like, right. Okay. In November. (laughs) In November. Yeah. The like, the shock to my system just wouldn't leave. I think what's cool about that though, too, Lisa, is I don't know what um, connections you continued because I didn't meet either of you until the summer of 94, but the connections we Mm -hmm. maintained after the summer was done. So, um, like reunions or going to London because of course most of our our camp folks are from London and just keeping those uh, phone calls and visits and all of that throughout the year um, was invaluable it uh, it wasn't just a I'll see you in June it was 
Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of what's kept our relationship strong for so long, because we had to work at it. Yes. It wasn't easy to stay connected, right? We didn't, we couldn't just text each other. We would write handwritten letters. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Use the corded telephone stuck to the wall. Yes. Yeah. The rotary corded phone. My parents' kitchen. (laughs) Yep. And there's some really like, there's some seeds in that as well, right? That when relationships are really worth it, you put the effort in and the rewards of that are great. And I have some amazing artifacts. Like um, one of my heart people, Robin, he and I wrote letters to each other from 1993 until like, I still remember when they turned digital, actually, because when we started emailing in like <laughs> 2000 and like 98, 2000, all of a sudden I've got all of these emails printed off instead of handwritten letters. But I have this chronicle mm-hmm. of our friendship and of my life through that time, which is an amazing, like, I actually still have them here. And there was one time where we, he and I sat down together around a fire and he brought his side of the story and I brought my side of the story. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I, yeah, it's still indelible in my memory that we were able to do that together. Mm-hmm. So I think we had like talked a little bit about this sort of pre-recording, but that, you know, the relationships that we build with the opposite you know, the genders that don't identify um, as our gender um, and at, at such a young age. And so, so, you know, like I were really good friends. I did not have guy friends outside of camp. I was mm-hmm. only guy fr- friends with guys at camp, which speaks to the kind of young men who were in that space as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's, it's, it's interesting that sort of tweaked me, Lisa, your, your relationship Robin. Mm. Yeah, because he stood up on my side right. <laughs> in our in our wedding, right? But it is and in the in the 90s, there wasn't the same kind of knowledge or understanding about um the gender spectrum or non-binary. And so I'm sure there were people in the community, I well, we know, we know there are people who are in the community who were still not fully sharing those aspects of their identity. And that's one thing that I can say has shifted in the community that exists now. Like watching my kids be part of this community that welcomes the non-binary, that welcomes the spectrum, that is so inclusive of all of the identities is a really beautiful thing. And speaking from our time, and our interactions with ma- with males or other females, it was a really interesting opportunity because when you're living that closely in community with boys, in my case, <laughs> <laughs> it gave me a chance to see um, what kind of person was going to work well for me and what kind of person was not. So going back again to that safe space to try things and to have them fail spectacularly (laughs) in some (laughs) cases. (laughs) 
Um, but have, but still have that community who would hold you afterwards, mm-hmm. right? And be there to support you through the grief and the pain of that experience. And and it was both male and female who were there to support. Like it wasn't just, it mm-hmm. was this really interesting dynamic of mo- like just humanity and being able to see each other's humanity regardless of what we were seeing on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really got to know nine weeks is a long time to pretend to be or to be inauthentic. So exactly what you're saying, Lisa, is it's it's not it wasn't just a blip. Like first week, okay, maybe people are just kind of settling in, but usually after a couple of weeks, you're really getting into the knowing each other, right? You know, with the good and the not so good and the challenging times, um, and really finding out who resonates with you from a friendship, a potential romantic relationship, or or just neither of the two. Thank you very much. <laughs> But a good, a good team member, nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Are there any seeds or roots that were planted at that time that you're now really witnessing blooming or growing in your life now? Oh, boy. You asked so many good questions, Lisa. So the one thing that's coming to mind now, and I don't, well, I'm going to trust my intuition on this one because it's Mm -hmm. kind of what came right into my mind. I mean, it's the, it's the power and necessity of ritual and ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we talked about it being a sacred space. I think I am coming full circle again, or I'm spiraling around back again in my, this particular point in my life to the power that that has in my life. Um, and I think you know, we had, we haven't really sort of touched on, on that piece yet in the conversation, but you know, it was, it was it used to be called here in church camp, you know, it's mm-hmm. from the Anglican diocese. There was a, you know, spirit, I was, I'm going to say spiritual component, not religious component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the beautiful, like just being able to explore and experience the sacred and the spiritual. Like we are all mind, body, spirit. And to be, again, at that young age in community. And for me, it was actually, now I'm thinking, it was, it was witnessing men, boys in that spiritual space, I think was actually very profound for me. Uh, and I don't think I knew it at the time, and this is just really coming off the top of my head, but there is, yeah. So that, that's just what comes up for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that because ritual, I think, is such an important part of our like our relationship of the three of us because there's definitely ritualistic things that we do when we're together. And um, I have I've been having a conversation with someone else recently about the importance of ritual and how it gives us 
that touch point in the day of coming back to ourselves, of giving us a moment of space to breathe and also deep connection. And it forms in our muscles, right? Like when we go back in the summer, when I'm standing around that, standing around the campfire, all of the rituals of that immediately come back. I know the words to the song. My art, my body knows how to do the actions. My mouth says the words without me having to think about it. And it's that deep sense of ritual and of absolutely coming home to the most safe space. I feel yeah, like we, we should burst you. into a campfire song right now, but. Uh... I don't think your listeners would like that, Lisa. <laughs> we'll we'll spare them. They can find that on iTunes. Right. <laughs> yes, there are some great camp albums that they can listen to on iTunes. A little shout out to the camp staff who are there now, who who have created some beautiful um, recordings. Of music yeah, that, it's, it's amazing. I love it. That to this day make me weep. <laughs> some of them. <laughs> And I think, I think for me, just to piggyback off of that, I didn't really know what I would contribute to that question, Lisa, but the, the sheer power of music, um, from camp, um, just to be, you know, be really specific there, whether it was, you know, campfire songs, or I, I remember making, I'm going to get sound really old here, but I don't care, a mixtape every summer it could have been maybe two or three you know of just volume one volume one volume two it just kept going just of songs that everyone would you know bring up their own music and you'd pool things together and make this this you know anthem of now nostalgia um that just teleports you back into your Birkenstocks and work socks. It's like, I'm there. It's I'm, and, and I can close my eyes and I can picture sitting on my bunk, making the tape with someone else's, you know, music and whatever, or wherever I would be. And just that, you know, whether it's ritual or nostalgia or just that, you know, that trigger lyric or whatever. And it just brings you right back to that time. I, I, have a collection of non-mixed tapes that were taking up huge amount of real estate in my house. And I'm like, I gotta, I, I probably need to downsize this. And so I kept um, all the little inserts from all of these, these cassette tapes, but all of the mixed tapes are still intact because that just, that's, that's gotta stay. Cause um, just hearing those songs just takes me right back to that age of, of who I was then. And just the people that, that I got to spend that time with. It's, it's amazing. Deb, I, if it wasn't for you, I would not have the appreciation that I have for poison. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, the summer of 1997, when you and I were LIT counselors together with Scott, like was the summer of like me discovering the beauty of 80s hair metal, Leah. Oh my god. <laughs> it's the summer of 1997 for me. And you. It's 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 and the whole, I mean, the whole game, but oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, Deb, what you're saying is so connected to what Leah was saying about ritual yeah. and that importance of ritual. And it speaks to how 
foundational that time was in your life that when you're feeling like when you when you feel that kind of deep connection and need to travel back to that time it just shows how connected you we all remain to that and whether we think about it on a daily basis or not those things still show up in our lives every day oh yeah And for me, I know the thing that is really showing up in my life right now is freedom, which was my word for this year. And I'm just putting all these things together now. But the place and the time that I've always felt the most free was there. And so that sense of grief that I felt at the end of every summer was definitely for the people and the connections and the love and for the sense of freedom. Mm -hmm that I had and the need, like the deep need that I have now to use all of the experiences I've had since then, because as much as I love that girl then, and she is like the purest essence of who I am. I also know that the wisdom and the grief Mm -hmm. and the connection and the pain and the joy that I've had since then make a much fuller woman. That's true. <laughs> that I have the freedom to be now. Love it. Yeah. Well, we could probably talk forever as we <laughs> generally do. Oh, I'd like to just take a moment to revisit that road. Hmm. That sacred road that always leads us home. And I can hear the gravel. And I can see the green of the leaves flashing by the windows and I can still feel the butterflies in my tummy excited for who I was going to be with and the sacred space itself. Thanks friends. All the love. Thank you. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. DC, I host the rock podcast Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid.